0: Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, a new podcast from Campaign US where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Liz Taylor, chief creative officer of Leo Burnett Worldwide and Publicis Communications in North America. In her role, Liz is responsible for carrying on Leo Burnett's half-century legacy of breakthrough ideas and challenger spirit while modernizing a storytelling approach that meets consumers on the platforms and places where they live today. Liz is also one of the few female creative chiefs in the industry, and while female representation is improving, there's still a lot of work to be done. Hey Liz, how's it going? It's
1: good. Thanks for having me. How are you?
0: Thank you for being here. I am well. I want to talk about um Leo Burnett and which is a storied creative agency that is like many creative agencies these days evolving with the times. Um and then, you know, I also want to talk a little bit about you and your position in the industry which is very interesting as one of the few female chief creatives. But first, talk to me about um, you know, Leo Burnett has been around for almost half a century at this point. How is the agency evolving from its roots? And and how are you sort of steering that from a creative standpoint?
1: Um, well, you know, I think before we talk about how it's evolving, I, I might kick off with how it's not. Okay. You know, I do. It is, you know, it's a storied legacy brand built from, you know, a man that i feel like is very relevant to the times you know it was during the depression he opened an agency when people said good luck with that you know you're gonna open it in in one of the worst times in the world and you're gonna be out on the streets selling apples and you know now we've got apples in every agency around the world and i think it's that roll up your sleeves get it done prove them wrong uh, you know, mantra that still is alive and kicking. And also, you know, one of my favorite quotes that we put apply into every piece of business that we do, which is what helps people helps business. And I think that that's the staying power. Um, You know, as long as, as we're reading the room and knowing the people and how they're feeling and what they're thinking, what they need, what they want, um we're always going to be on the right track. So those are the things that I feel like are core that are still there today and then from how we're evolving. I mean our whole industry is evolving. The tools change, the leverage you pull whether it's data to help understand people a little better, the mediums and the platforms that we're telling stories on. But, you know, I'm a firm believer that creativity lives and dies by its ideas and the best ideas intersect with how the world is changing and Uh, from the experiences they have, the information they're craving. But at the end of the day, it's how we're relating the culture and in the moment. And I think that's what Leo Burnett is evolving and has always done and will always do. The times change, um, but how we connect with people uh, that we still have to do.
0: Right. So it it is, it does always, it does still boil down to this core sense of connecting with culture, connecting with people and, and what they need. It's just that today, you know, culture moves so fast, um, and connection is more difficult, right? Because we're all working from home. So what are some of the things that you've done in the past year to continue to foster that, um, you know, sense of community and, and staying on top of culture in this environment that we've been in?
1: I mean, I think in, in ways, the, the pandemic brought us together and closer. I mean, we're all on video, like the amount of time that I get to spend. I can be in London and an hour later in Brazil and mm-hmm. an hour later in India. Like it, that part's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm way closer um, to the people I work with. And I would probably be if we weren't using the technology, like, you know, the teams and zooms and and while it's draining that you're on video all day and it's different, it does enable us to be closer to our people and work um, more efficiently. And same with our clients, our relationships with our clients, I feel like I have never been stronger. They have like either real problems or real advantages they need to be taking you know into account, and the ability to to be with them without a flight, without, you know, dealing with things getting canceled and rushing between meetings, but just on a, on a video, like within an hour, if they need us, I think that helps us work at the speed of culture. Um, And, and that I hope never goes away. And also talent in terms of, you know, it doesn't matter where you live right now. Like we've been able to recruit and retain, like, I don't know where, A lot of my creatives are literally sitting, though I always ask them where they are in that moment, but I'm still with them every day, which I think is really wonderful that like, you know, that that is unheard of. The fact that I, you know, can be with so many people at different touch points in one day, I think has really helped us stay together and be together. It's kind of fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because from the way you're describing it, it almost sounds like being physically apart, but having all these tools to connect has, has helped the agency stay connected. But then I I talk to a lot of creative people who say, you know, it's just not the same. You can't.
1: Well, there are, I mean, I definitely miss the spontaneity. Like I miss our offices, like walking, there is nothing like walking the halls of a Leo Burnett anywhere around the world and like feeling the energy. And we're very like, we work in a very open format. So ideas are everywhere. So like you could walk up to one team and see something and see something else. And it's just that, that spontaneity you cannot create in a video world. So that part I miss, and I'm so excited of where we are with vaccines and knowing there will be an opportunity for us to get together when we need and how we need. I do think it'll evolve from how like it's not going to be this mandate of you come in every day from this amount of time to that of time with back-to-back meetings. I think it'll evolve. But I definitely crave that uh, spontaneity and sort of just the, I don't know, that energy of when we're all together and building on each other's ideas. But we have found ways, I think, to to be closer more often. But I think that spontaneity is like, For a creative, you can't replicate in the land of videos. That part's hard. You've got to force it.
0: Yeah. So how does that like shake out going forward? Like, because there's certain parts that are working and certain parts that are not. Like, when do you as a creative person and as a creative agency, like need to be in the office? And how often is that? Like, you know, I hear about hybrid work models, but I don't have a clear sense of what that looks like. And I don't know if anyone does yet. So I'm curious if you have thoughts on it.
1: I I don't think anyone knows what it's going to look like. And I do think it will be some, you know, test and learn um, a little bit. You know, we've reached out uh, as a group um, to get some experts who, who have worked on things like this in the past and, you know, people who are far smarter than me who've talked about the future of workplace. And then I think it's just tapping into what people need and what they don't need and how that will work. And we'll try it out. I mean, we have gotten small groups together in safe ways. Um, we've done a few things to see. We've learned like what really doesn't work. What's interesting is if you do get a small group together safely. Um, but some people can't for various reasons. Like that's hard for that person where like a group of people were together in New York and I wasn't there and they were all in one room and everybody looked like little ants, you know, in the video to me. So I think the workspaces will be different. I think that'll be a little bit more of a fluidity, uh, communal, I'll call it the soul house effect. I think people will work more in you know, they'll need uh, spaces where they can collaborate more and maybe a few spaces here or there where if they need to be heads down and really, you know, work on on something solo to like focus on writing as an example or doing something. But I, I don't think it's going to be everybody sitting at the same desk. I think it's going to be more about how do you get together and and find ways to collaborate and be spontaneous and share ideas. So, but I'm not an expert at all on this. And I think I'm just excited to to find ways to get back together how and when we want to and need to. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited with, you know, the vaccine heading the way it is that we'll be able to do that. I long for like the fun and mm-hmm. the spontaneity. I really do miss that. I mean, we still try to get that as much as we can, but you know, there's like a giddiness, like we're all a bunch of creative geeks and we love to be together. We love to talk about what shows we've binged and see someone else's work and get, you know, jealous of it or push it. And I think that is hard to, to create in a virtual world. So I'm excited for that. For sure. I am excited for that too.
0: Um, so, you know, you brought up, um, you know, communal spaces. Uh, Publisys recently launched Le Truc, which is this creative collective in New York. Um, I know you're not based in New York, but is that something that you're sort of factoring into your plans um, in terms of how creativity sort of like lives and breathes at Leo Burnett um, as we sort of head back to more in-person um.
1: Yes and no. I mean, Latruc is a new way of working. It's not a new agency. Um, it is from, we are redoing the space there, working with some incredible um, architect and design firms and we're working closely with them. And it does tap into like how an office might look in the future and, and what we would need. So in terms of that, that will definitely, we'll get learnings from it, but it's, it's not uh, the fluidity model of how we work together that we've done through the pandemic. We'll keep doing that. We really do believe in our brands. Leo Burnett has a way of doing things, a culture, humankind at its core. So that's that's not going anywhere. I don't really know if I answered that question, but, um, <laughs> but I don't know. Like, it's yeah. it, they work together. It's like a it's a boost. It's like an enzyme adding to things, truc mm. So it's not an instead of. It's more like I'm so not a scientist person, but I keep using like it would be like adding a a, a bit of a different enzyme to a mix to see what that could do. But interesting. I don't want to ramble. I feel like I just went off on a tangent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that you did say in that in that response is about you know Leo Burnett has its has its way of doing things has its sort of um, spin on creativity, right? So talk about like as the chief creative officer there, like what is a great idea in your view, especially today when there's just so much clutter? Um, How do you, how do you find those things that really, that really stick out?
1: You know, well, first I'll start with the, the simplest is like the best ideas have that like incredibly simple, like, oh man, how did we not think of that? It's like so obvious because it's so helpful because at the end of the day, It's either entertaining a human or helping a human. It goes back to that. It changes the way people think and feel. It changes the way people live. And, you know, the best and biggest ideas change the world for the better. That's what creativity can do. Uh, But, you know, we we have to win our unfair share advantage of hearts and minds. That's the role of creative. That's the role of marketing on behalf of our brands. We have to sell things. And we are interrupting people's lives. So we have to like, you know, win their hearts and minds in doing that. And the way way Leo Burnett takes that on is like, is that relevant to an actual human being? Do they want it? Do they need it? Do they crave it? Can they not like take their eyes off of what we did? Um, So to me, that's what makes the best idea. I mean, it's not there. There's people at the other end of it. We can't forget that.
0: Hmm. I think this industry does forget that a lot of the time.
1: Um, Well, like I try to say to the, you know, the teams when they work on things, like we really do have to like even the word consumer, like there are people, they need things. We've got to make sure that they want this or if they don't want it, we're about to show them why they do or how we entertain them. I mean, it's no different from when you, you know, what shows you end up binge watching, what movies, you know, it's a populist, which is not always the best word right now, but it is a populist approach in terms of that consumer, like. What will win over those masses? Mm.
0: And that's that's getting more difficult these days, right? Because there's all these like echo chambers online. There's all these different groups of people. And, you know, more and more you like marketers are trying to be inclusive of different groups. Is it do you find that it is becoming more difficult to win over the masses with, with a great idea?
1: I mean, I think it's just different. It's not always done in a Super Bowl commercial anymore. It is more like you said there, you know, it's kind of you know, in all different groups and all different people. And that's where I do get a little geeked out on data sometimes. Like the more we know about people, you know, it takes away some of the subjectivity. And so I just think the way we evaluate it is a little different, but I mean, look at what, like, you know, I'll talk about a competitor's work, like what, what black Twitter did recently. I mean, it's amazing. They took people's tweets, they turned them into like, you know, really beautiful thought pieces out in the world. And, and that was tapping into a specific group and insights and listening and it spread and everybody talked about it. And, you know, I think it, it grew, you know, a different following. So I think it's harder. I just think it's different. I think it's using data smarter. I think it's knowing where people are and what they're engaging with. Um, I think it's, Taking storytelling, um, innovation and experience. I think experience has never taken on a more important role. You know, like when you think about where people are and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's not just a Super Bowl commercial anymore, though. I love me a good Super Bowl commercial. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just one piece of a much larger like ecosystem.
0: Yeah. So how is that changing, like, the way that you approach creative at the agency? Because now, you know, you mentioned experience. You have all these, you know, long standing clients that are, like, you know, McDonald's, GM, P&G. These are large legacy corporations that are also trying to adapt to these changes that, that are happening with e-commerce and, you know, online media and all these different things. So how do you, I don't, I don't usually hear a creative person say that they geek out on data. So how is I that? I know. I love it though. <laughs> into the process at, at Leo.
1: Well, I think it's like, I don't think people, I think people like use the word data, like creatives sometimes might be turned off on it or they don't geek out on it, but I've always, I mean, it's my whole, like I would say the last 10 years I've kind of geeked out on it because It is such a subjective, creative can be so subjective. And I think data takes the subjectivity out of it. It's hard to argue with the insights that are based in data. So when we, you know, we have a, you know, Leo Burnett, we have a humankind operating system, we tap into um, our own tools and technology, but we still make it, it's humankind, like it has to, it's not like using data for data sake, it is at the end of the day, what helps people helps business. And so we're still solving business problems, mm-hmm. using incredibly, you know, uh magical creative solutions still. Like that, you know, it's it's how that creative behaves uh differently for different people. But I think we also as a group have like the largest stack of creative solutions to help a client. Like whether it is e-commerce or shopper marketing or, you know, a Super Bowl commercial, whether it's it's comms, whether it's, you know, I think that's what how we show up to the client by solving their real problems. Um, I think that's the levers we pull and using the insights in really creative ways. So it's like, I don't know. I get really, again, I don't, I feel like some creatives get turned off by data because they're like, Oh my God, you're going to make me, I think people just aren't using it. Right. It it requires incredible um, partners on our, you know, our data our data, whatever, scientists meets strategists, planners, and, you know, at, you know, in Leo, we have something called fi, which is like how we tap into things quickly and what's happening in culture. And I think all of that just makes, it's their like tools, like magical tools in your tool set, the way you'd have like an art kit, if you were an artist, like different paints and different, you know, things to play with. And so for me, that's, that's what's really amazing right now of like, it's never been a better time to be a creative. You have so many tools to play with so many different ways to tell stories, so many different ways to, um, let a human at the other end know about your product. And I think we don't use enough of those.
0: Yeah. So when you're, when you're sort of looking for talent, do you feel like, um, or, or training talent that you already have? Are they like, equipped to use these tools? Are they, are they ready for it or do they shy away from it? And how do you make that part of the DNA of a creative agency?
1: Um, you know, I think what I look for when I recruit creative is like, uh, curiosity Mm -hmm. and, and openness and sponge and people who are hungry and obsessed with making the best work of their lives. Um, and to me like if you're not familiar with something but you're a curious human being you're gonna like want to dig in and find out and ask the right questions and learn what you can and can't do um, so i think it's more about a mentality mm-hmm. and then i think you need to drop some experts in the mix of those people and they're you know if you're a person i always tell people like be the person everybody wants to work with like you you can't come in and tell people why they're doing it wrong or tell them that they're old school or do this because they're still craftsmen and they're creatives. Like if somebody's only made TV commercials their whole life, they're probably incredible storytellers in a certain medium, in a certain length, in a certain way. And so how can we evolve that, like take that and do it in a different way? And how can I arm you with what you need to do that? How can you get storytelling to be sequential? Like think about, you know, the way we 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 binge watch on Netflix, like that that phrase didn't even exist 10 years ago. Like you had to wait each week for an episode to come out. Now, I can't even imagine 10 years ago if somebody at a network would say, we're gonna put the whole season out at once. <laughs> you know, like, so I that's how I kind of tell creatives, like, don't be scared of it, embrace it. Like there could be something fun. Like you might have some super fan who watches it all in one sitting, you know, like, but I think that's just, being a curious soul and loving what we do and figuring out how we do it in new ways. I really do. But I do think you need some people who can help guide those creatives along the way and not make that nothing is worse than having somebody come in and be like, you guys are so old school, you don't know how to do it. And I don't think that exists. I do think there's some people like that and then they just turn it off. But if you come in and say, I want to be the people, the person everyone wants to work with, I want to make people better. I want to open their eyes and if you're the creative on the other side and you say, I don't, I don't know what I don't know, so how can you help me? That all comes from a mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I took a job at a digital agency years ago when I literally didn't even know like what a case size or banner. And I was very open about it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why you want me here, but I'm going to help on this pitch. Uh, that was why I was brought in. and And I had a lot of people help me. A lot of people were turned off by me but it changed my career. Like I learned a lot. I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, this is, this was like when brands were first going on Facebook and that was like Mm -hmm. a crazy thing. And I was like, what does that mean? Do we have to have people like brands? Mm -hmm. You know, like I just wanted to dig in and I was like, wait, we can, we can use people's background to tell more stories. Is that illegal? Like those are just, you know, I don't know. It's like more tools and how you can do things and tell stories and tap into them and find out about them. But at the end of the day, it's about curiosity and, uh, and compassion and empathy and, uh, a, a collaboration.
0: Yeah. You mentioned like, you know, you need to have those experts in there to help the creatives with that. Like who are, what skill set is that? Is that a strategist? Is that a data scientist? Like who, who are the experts?
1: I think it's yes. And uh-huh. I think it's all different people. I think it's, you know, um, you know, it's, Like, I was like, it's a guy like Chris Marshall who we have, who's like, can balance the, you know, taking everything we do at an Epsilon, you know, with first party data, but understanding um, how strategists and planners use insights and what a creative needs. And he's like this magical connector that will like speak in layman's terms to everybody. Like he'll, he'll tell this crew, like, Hey, this is actually kind of what they're looking for in that crew. So sometimes they're connectors more than experts, like they're translators. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes they are, you know, hardcore, you know, creative technologists who are like just constantly tinkering in their homes on how to prototype something new that's never been done before. Um, And I think sometimes it's like, just a a creative who's like obsessing over things you know and reddit and here it it go again curious souls who want to work and help other people and i don't think it's one um they're a little bit of you know they're magic makers they make it happen they're mm-hmm. i don't like the word unicorn because i think unicorns have a like they're they're fake they don't exist Versus a zebra, I always say like, we don't want unicorns. We want zebras, (laughs) like zebra. Like if you do like a whole thing about zebras versus unicorns, like you'd understand like a zebra like works with different people and they, um, they like to bring different people like unicorns are like, look at me, I'm this magical creature. I'm so great. And that's exactly what you don't need.
0: Right, right that that's
1: my zoology for you
0: (laughs) now now I'll always refer to it as zebras
1: (laughs) I mean I, I always I it's like a great like random like what do you mean we need zebras and I'm like oh my god there's been so many articles about like just go look at what a zebra does versus you know a unicorn and you'll understand why you want more zebras in your agency
0: can you give me what's an example of a campaign you guys have have worked on or put out recently that sort of embodies these ideas of storytelling everywhere and and using all the tools in the toolkit
1: um ooh that's a a good one to to put me on the spot with um i'll give one that um i'll give a couple like there's um falabella in in latam which is you know uh one of the largest retailers they um they obviously during the pandemic stores closed right like what do you do and and how do you like e-commerce, you know, they they had a presence, but it was definitely more about an in-store experience and stores were closed. And so they turned all of the I mean, the creative idea was how do you turn the people who worked into stores into like online affiliates? Mm. Um, And so it's an amazing case film. It'll do a better job of telling the story. But we we train the associates on on how to be great on social media like how to get people, how to introduce them to styles and fashions and how to sell the work. And it was an affiliate program. The more they did it and the more they sold, they got more out of it. And it's just an incredible, like there was storytelling, there was e-commerce, there was social media, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and it changed their business like massively. And it was. I just think it's really like a fascinating, again, we help people, like we help the store employees, we help the people who wanted to shop. Mm -hmm. um it's like a very simple old model affiliates like how you you know like you sell more you make more but like using the tools of today of of social and e-commerce platforms and you know love of shopping so that's one that I like am like kind of obsessed with and and at Leo Burnett we have something called the GPC which is our global product council which brings our CCOs together from around the world and we evaluate the work off of of our GPC scale, which is a humankind scale that is very specific. It's not just saying is the work a gold worthy. It it, it has a very specific um, sort of algorithm of like the questions you push to de- determine if it's a one, if it's a two, if it's a three, like whether it's destructive about the idea, does it, you know, is it contagious? Does it encourage people? And so, and then we vote on them and then there's our internal sort of awards And an eight is like the, you know, we're humble. So we would never give a 10, Mm -hmm. but an eight is really the, the magic sweet spot. And so follow Bella is one that in the last two GPCs, you know, it was like presented as like, you know, a piece of paper almost when we first went into lockdown and everybody was like, man, if you could pull that off, that's amazing for the people, for the business. And then the second GPC, like we see the rough case film. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe. It went into the world, and then like we just saw another one, and I'm like, and it really worked, you know. Like so, it's kind of the dream, like a beautiful idea that really worked that changed the business in a time when they needed it most. So that's one example. Now, totally flipping the side because I do wear a few different hats. So that's like uh, an example of of Leo Burnett and and then using tools, and then just again, we're still craftsmen and we do populist like Cadillac Super Bowl Edgar Scissor Hands mm-hmm. like. I love that work so much. I mean, it was like the client tapping into, you know, it, it was taking that story to a new chapter, right? Like there's like Edward Scissorhands years ago, still beloved. We noticed that there was some, some Scissorhands love happening on TikTok. So it was like, you know, it's still very relevant with a new target. We were launching electric vehicle. Um, how do we take that story? How do we stay true to it? We still had like, you know, Winona rider, We made sure we had, you know, the music, the directors. We recast The Sun as Timothy Chalamet, like, you know, hottest actor. And, and the craft, and it was all based around a benefit of the car, like the hands-free driving. So it's not just for the sake of doing it. I mean, it was like, how do you bring that benefit to life in a really entertaining, engaging way? So that's like again using something that like has been around forever, commercials and Super Bowl, but still being very modern and craft and mm-hmm. and advancing storytelling and you know getting getting into culture. Then on the other end, we've gotten my publicist role because I'm you know I have this publicist communications um, CCO role, like what Publicist New York did for GIF. Um, might be my favorite thing of the year, the GIF versus GIF and mm-hmm. all the. I mean, there are so many amazing things. The partnership with Giphy that that was like sold. On, I mean, there was e-commerce. It sold out. It got put onto eBay. It was like celebrities talked about it. I mean, it's like it had so many touch points. So that's like a fascinating thing. I, I feel like we went a little case film happy in the industry of like, sometimes we forgot what the idea was and we were like making the case film better than the ideas. And that was like the award show, like this endless like cycle. Mm -hmm. But I do think when the world is so fragmented, the cases are important in how we tell our story to our clients, to the world, to press, um, to prospects, you know, you got to show like how it all got pieced together because uh, it's all working in these separate fragments, which is amazing. And I think the GIF versus GIF is another one um, that is using all the tools in the tool set, using data, using culture, um, talking to different targets, um, not showing mom in the kitchen, because while moms are the people, it doesn't mean you have to show your target to tap into your target. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just a lot of of amazing things there that yeah. I mean, I could talk, work, talking about creative is my favorite thing. I could talk about Tide and the NFL. And like, I, if you <laughs> I want to talk about it. my favorite pieces in the group and Leo, like we might have to do a whole separate podcast on that for like an hour because it is my favorite thing. And it is why I feel so lucky to have this, this role and these dual roles. Like the fact yeah. that I get to meet with the CCOs from Leo and Fallon and Sachi and PNY and BBH and Community and Keneal. I mean, that like makes me i think one of the lucky luckiest humans in our industry and then Leo Burnett uh globally worldwide like it's such a storied i inherited such a a beautiful brand that creativity is in the DNA like nothing was broken we just need to keep pushing forward and i mean that's oh, wow. what drew me drew me to this role and i feel lucky that i have it
0: well that's a good um point to switch gears and talk a little bit about how you are one of the few female chief creative officers in the industry. Um, Talk about, you know, maybe some of the challenges that you faced getting there or didn't face getting there and how you're using your role to um, help other women get to your position in the industry.
1: Um, well, I am excited to see that there's a lot more than there ever was when I was sort of a baby and growing up in the industry. I mean, um, within our network right now, we have, you know, Erica and Publicis New York was just, you know, announced CCO. We have Nikki and Leslie at Fallon. We have Shaka in in UK. We've got Natalie Lamb. Like, We and then outside of our network, there's Tiffany and Colleen and Susan and Margaret. So the fact that I can even name all of these people, like, is am I allowed to swear? It's pretty fucking awesome. Like, it's so great. Um, But there are, you know, there's challenges and there's pressures, and I think you know, see it, be it, and can is an amazing thing. Like, the more people see women, see diversity in roles. Um, it enables them to feel like it's possible. So, I mean, there were so many challenges along the way. Uh, I tell people, like, um, the key is to have an amazing partner in life, Um, spouse, partner, support system. Um, You just, you cannot, as a woman, like, if you have a family, I mean, there's just a lot of pressure and there's a lot that you do. I would not be in my role without my husband. I mean, he more than shares the load of things with our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, he, you know, champions me, supports me, is proud of me, is not competitive with me. So I always tell people like, choose your partner and support system well, because it is an exhausting industry with, um, travel and late nights and pressures and you you do need a support system Mm -hmm. um and then I think you sort of as a human being I always tell women in particular like you need your non-negotiables and it's different for every person like those are the things that you're never going to compromise and not do whatever it is like whether it is you know uh, dinners, whether it's your kids' birthdays, whether it's, you know, I'm never going to miss a school function. You can't do it all. Um, and I think it's okay. I always say I'm probably failing one part of my life at some point, but if you look at the collective, hopefully, you know, my kids are proud of me and they're good human beings and work I'm doing. Okay. But on any given day, I'm failing one of them, I'm sure. Um, so you got to look at the big picture, but there's non-negotiables. Like I, my one of my non negotiables were my kid's birthdays, like birthdays have been a big deal in my life all along when I was a kid they they're my favorite thing to do, and I've never worked on my kids' birthdays mm. not once, not ever in my whole career. I quit a job once, over really it. um I did I was like not gonna miss my son's first birthday for a shoot. It just yeah. I thought it would haunt me, and i the shoot couldn't move, and they said I had to be there, and I was lucky enough to to be at a, I mean, I don't know that I could do that today. I don't know that I would do that today, but I was at a point in my career where I'm like, I don't have to do this. I can freelance. Like, I don't want to have that regret. It's like this weird thing with me, birthdays. And so I quit and freelanced and I was still freelancing there the next week, but I didn't miss my son's first birthday. Yeah. And I'm sure he wouldn't have cared, but that was like my non-negotiable. And I love telling that story. And, you know, obviously, you know, now my kids are older and I've one in college and I don't always get to be with them on their birthdays, but I'm really proud of that, that like they felt that something that was important to me is important to them. And they came first.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And any, any place you work needs to know that. So I think a support system, I think personal non-negotiables I think the corporate culture can be hard. And so a good executive coach slash therapist always helps. Um, I think like, you know, we still live in a, corporate culture where there will be gaslighting and there will be people who like will tell you things that you can or can't do. And you've got to be strong and you, you've you got to be okay being respected and not always liked. Those are hard. You need to have people that you can be open and honest with. Like you have to remember that everybody's trying to like tell you what you want to hear. You need the people who are going to tell you what you need to hear.
0: Yeah. And it does sort of seem like, you know, you like the first thing you said, have a good support system, have a partner that can help you out. And that you know, feels like, you know, you can't, you can't be perfect. You're always failing at one thing. I feel like, you know, there is still so much pressure, especially for women in the industry to be perfect and do it all and, um, you know, have the job and the family. But when you talk to a man, they wouldn't necessarily even think about, you know, having a support system for, for their kids. Like, do you think that these sort of, structural stigmas are changing at all with the pandemic, um, sort of more exposure of how women are, are struggling with childcare the past year, or is it still something that, um, you run into as, as a female leader? In the,
1: in the Um, I don't think it gets better. I think it helps to have empathetic leaders, male or female who like see it and, and take it on head on, you know, like I mean, it is taking a toll right now. Like, I don't, I don't know how people are like, I mean, people who are managing small kids at home and having to like, you know, at now some schools are back in, but like, that's, that's hard. And I think the more we can, like, what are we doing for those employees, male or female? Like, it's like people have little kids at home that have to like have e schooling while we have meetings. Does that mean like, so, you know, in Chicago an example, like, Andrew Swinann and myself and and our head of a Billy um, with HR, like talent, like we'd get together and say like, how do we make sure that like people know like meetings, like how within their group they can change things or if they need to step away or what are we doing from a support system? Do we need to get, send people dinners? Like, I just think even that we're having those conversations, I'm not sure everybody is. I don't know. I think there's an epidemic right now of like, I do think a lot of industries are going to lose women and moms right now. I think it's like people are getting burnt and they're like, they're overwhelmed and it's, it's really sad and heartbreaking. And I, I hope that me myself, I'm doing as much as I can um, for our offices and those people who need it. But I do think it's a a terrible um, epidemic that I don't see really changing sadly right now.
0: Yeah. And what does that mean for for the industry and the work that is created? I mean, you know, I feel like there have been a lot of gains, but we still have not anywhere close to where we need to be. And now we're getting set back even further, you know, both from a gender and racial perspective.
1: Well, I think from a gender and racial perspective, it is um, definitely people are finally more, are using that muscle to like you know hire on potential, not just unprove and be more flexible in the ways we work and how we bring people in and it 's not just checking a box but making people successful um it 's not just meeting a number it 's like literally supporting people, so I do think that um there is more um more openness in that. Uh, people are talking about it. They are recognizing it. And so I think that we are finding as an industry, finding ways to address it. Some will get it right. Some will not hopefully, you know, I do think it's, um, while I think we're having a hard time, I do find that at least more is happening. I think we have more clients demanding it, which I love, like, cause mm-hmm. that always helps. We have, you know, partnerships with free the work. I, I just think we have to keep finding ways to make people, uh, more diverse people, more successful in our industry. That's not just bringing them in. That is not just recruiting in a different way. That isn't, that is literally setting them up for success once they're there, which sometimes means changing the way we operate, changing, um, how other people operate. And I don't think it's easy, but I mean, you have to have people like crazy committed to it, which I feel lucky within leo and within puvis this group that like you have to have very open hard conversations you have to like try to break old bad habits um and sometimes you don't know what's coming up like none of us knew the pandemic was going to happen none of us knew schools would close so what does that mean like i don't want i don't want every you know every parent single parent you know divorced um uh, no support system, whatever, to feel like they have to leave our industry to take care. Like I, that would, we would fail if suddenly every person in that situation said, I need to take a year off. So we try to proactively figure out what does that mean? Are they supported? Are we checking in on them? Do they have what they need? Do we have resources for them? Um, and you're right. I don't know that a lot of men would do that. Um, again, it's why I love that there are so many women, um, But I think there's men also who do it. I mean, Ian Sohn, who works at Hawkeye, he's a, you know, he's a divorced dad who takes care of his kids. He talks very openly about it. And I think just, it would be a shame for me to just say it's it's only women and it's only moms and Mm -hmm. it's not diversity. I think there's a a lot that our industry has to keep pushing on. Mm -hmm. So we're 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 moving in the right
0: direction but there's there's a lot working against it just given the pandemic and everything so we'll take yeah it. and i think even just
1: history like i think people need to be willing to like blow shit up like <laughs> you know like what do we have to lose like if we try something differently like we have to like prototype ourselves yeah so
0: how is leo blowing
1: shit up um I can't give away all my secrets, no, um I mean there's a you know in terms of let's see what what should I chat about most maybe like from a uh racial and gender equality and like uh perspective, you know as an agency we we have a culture called greater than, um, think of math symbols, less than, greater than, and the idea that no one ever deserves to feel less than who they are, and it's infused with brave spaces and, and open conversations. We have eight ERGs, equal right groups that with diverse communities, Black, LGBTQ+, Asian, Latino, um, age 50 plus, veteran, parents, women, to ensure everyone, like, has a sense of belonging, but not just that they have it, that these groups can come to executive leadership and tell us how we're doing it wrong, Mm -hmm. maybe make suggestions on things we could do. Um, I think we are also um, ensuring that our work, our creative is, is, you know, free from harmful stereotypes and biases. That's, you know, a tricky one. You know, I think we um, as an industry sometimes don't really, realize how much impact we have on, on on the world. Like if we make the, the work that we put out in the world look more like the world itself, that impacts like perceptions and, and all of that. So we, we, during um, the pandemic, we created an internal peer council group. Um, It's like called uh, an IPC, which is like an inclusivity product council That is made up of diverse people that you can go to at any point you can bring in so like if you're like hey are we getting something wrong here did we miss anything can we get your point of view on something Mm -hmm. um so you know those are some of the things we're doing and then of course like publicist group the initiatives that we took to advance deni the pause for action event seven actions that that we're committed to so those are some of like the the specifics and then we have you know how we're recruiting, um, where we're recruiting, who we're partnering with, um, uh, things like the one school on Chicago state university. So there's, there's a lot there. I mean, there's like so many, mm-hmm. I just think what I'm so proud of is that like, we are committed to it. We are doing things. I will say, I don't, it is not to pat myself on the back. Cause I still think we are a long way. I think we have to have that spirit of we're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. um relentlessly.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think with you at the helm then things will will keep pushing on, but unfortunately that's all the time we have today, so we'll leave it there, but thank you so much Liz for for joining us and um yeah, it's great to have. Thanks you. for having me.
1: I can't wait to do the one where we get an hour just to talk about creative work because as I said, that's always <laughs> my know. favorite thing. <laughs> okay.
0: That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.